Hey folks, and welcome to Typology, the show on which we explore the story of you through the lens of the Enneagram. We have another wonderful guest for you today. I'm talking about Ilan Benami, the co-creator of the Ennea app. And if you haven't used the Ennea app, you should get it. It's such a great uh, quick reference guide for all things Enneagram. It's super, super helpful. That's E-N-N-E-A-A-P-P, the Ennea app. Just go to your favorite platform, Apple, Google, whatever it may be, and download it. Aside from being a co-creator of this app, Elon is a LPC with an MA in Transpersonal Counseling Psychology and a BA in Philosophy. We have a wonderful conversation talking about instincts and subtypes, so I know you'll love this episode with Enneagram 6 Wing 7 Elon Benami. That's it for me, Anthony Skinner, and now here is the host of our show, Ian Cron. Hey, Typology Tribe, I am so excited today to bring to you my new friend, Ilan Banami. He is an Enneagram 6 with a 7 wing. He is author of the new book, Enneagram Patterns and Poetics, a guide to understanding personality. And he is the designer, maker, the brains behind the Ennea app, which I know many, many of you have. Elon, welcome to Typology. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It is, man. Enneagram sixes. You know, we, uh, I have a special affection for sixes mm. because, uh, in many ways, for me, they are the glue that holds the world together in a way. And at least that's how I experience sixes, their love for community, their earthiness. And uh, I have a special affection, as I said. Tell me about your experience as a six moving through the world. Tell me about the journey of self-discovery you went on through the Enneagram. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, I was introduced to the Enneagram through my first therapist and she sort of said it as a throwaway comment. You might want to read about six. And I honestly, I was devastated by it. You know, I think that's kind of a mm. common reaction, but I just kind of consumed books, everything I could. I read everything that I could get my hands on because it, it stunned me. And she was a four. She was a four. And I felt seen by her in a way that I had never, you know, in that way, fours can do. Mm. So that was my initial sort of introduction to the Enneagram was through her. Uh, and it set me on a different path. I ended up, I was doing hair at the time. I was a stylist. And working with her, it just was incongruent. You know, it just didn't make sense. I was good at relationships, but not great at hair. I mean, it's fine, passable, <laughs> not by. <laughs> There's still a few haircuts that haunt me, you know, when I think of them. But that set me, basically, I left abruptly the, the, that world, which I never did. You know, I was, I didn't have the language at the time, but I'm dutiful. Very six, I showing up, I'm on mm -hmm. time. I'm hyper reliable, I guess. But I just left. I just didn't show up anymore. I didn't give any notice. My clients, you know, they moved on to better stylists, I guess. But then I decided to go to, I looked at her and I said, I want to do what you do. And then I went to Naropa and grad school, basically. 
to become a counselor. And then I guess happenstance or whatever it is, I ended up doing an internship with Lori Olson, who has been teaching the Enneagram for 30 years. And that was really where kind of it took off for me, I guess. So you mentioned that you were devastated. And yes, of course, all of us, there's a certain level of, I guess, if we think of shame as exposure, the fear of exposure, right? There is mm. this sort of shame-like experience when we come into our awareness of our type. What was it about the six that was so devastating? Well, it was just being described. I thought I did a really good job at hiding my anxiety. I think I actually do a pretty good job at not looking super as anxious as I am or as angsty as I am. And so I just assumed there was something wrong with it. There was something wrong with me in it. Uh, and so reading it, you know, the, the classic qualities, worst case scenario, the devil's advocate, the authority issues, my God, the authority issues. <laughs> yeah. So it was really actually, you know, that experience of is somebody reading my journal here, you know, but that was it. And also then the idea of the system, it was really, truly, I mean, this was early twenties. The first time I realized how everyone has a different lens which is a mind-blowing mm -hmm. thing, to, you know, just assuming everyone's operating on the basic paradigm that you are. So seeing that and then looking at everyone differently, it was fascinating. Mm -hmm. And also, it really did knock me on my ass. Yeah. Sorry, is it's it okay to curse here? Oh, yeah. This is a curse-free zone. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. so <laughs> you know, let's talk for a moment about sexes and authority figures uh, or systems, because I'm not sure everybody understands it. So can you unpack it from your perspective? Because I love that you just mentioned authority issues that you, you carried around mm -hmm. with you. Yeah. You know, I was always second in command, I guess, of role. I'm very comfortable in that role. I've had to step into actual leadership, but I'm very good at assisting the person with power. And I guess when I was less aware, I resented them or not even that. I undermined them in my mind. But then I really wanted to be guided by them. And so I elevated them. They were on a pedestal. But then I would, you know, question everything they did. And for me, I lead with, I guess, a warm front. You know, I typically don't talk about that or show that. So all of that was, I mean, I look actually, or I think I have come off as agreeable or even subservient in authority roles, but I was always. Right. Yeah. So we sort of had a conversation early on about, you know, we were talking about just briefly about instincts and subtypes. Are you a self-preservation mm. six? Yeah. Yeah. Through and through. Yeah. So there's that warmth. That was the words you threw out, the word warmth. Yeah, I think so. I think I like to be, I guess, pleasant or you know, the, the sort of even ingratiating, I think I do that with authority. Which is normal for a self-pressed six, right? And as a self-pressed person, you know, you have tethered your security typically, right, to an authority figure. And, you know, you, and so therefore you want to make sure that your connection to that authority figure is positive. Is that a fair yeah. way to put it? Oh, yeah, I'll be protected. I mean, it's a pretty solid defense and it's been yeah. one that I've been familiar with my whole life. 
So it's interesting, you know, I oftentimes say that, you know, teachers, my, my wife was a teacher and I'm always laughing. I say, you know, teachers love self-preservation sixes, you know, because <laughs> they're as little people, they're like little ducklings, you know, they follow the teacher around, they keep their eye right on yeah. that authority figure. It's like, because the teacher knows where the bomb shelter is. You know it's what I mean? Me. Like the teacher yeah. knows where the fire exit is. hundred percent. I mean, my mom is a teacher and I was comfortable in that role of the pupil. Or I guess the yeah. golden child, you know, I'm air quoting to the listener because it's got yeah. its own pain or challenge. Sure. So I know that the whole idea, we're just talking about subtypes for a minute, and I know that subtypes are a juicy topic for you as well as instincts. And it's interesting, we've just been on a, we have this thing called the Typology Institute membership where people mm. subscribe and are part of a small community that get together on a regular basis and they get different things from us like a private podcast and other other perks, if you will. And we've just done... You know, sort of in our in the middle of kind of a deep dive on instincts and subtypes. Let's talk about those for a minute because I know both are passions. Is that correct for you? Yeah, I love it. And it, it's just okay. so useful. Yeah. Let's talk about the usefulness of instincts just for a moment because I'm always telling people, you know, you don't even need to know the Enneagram to benefit from knowing about instincts. Exactly. Yeah. As a completely separate topic, they're fascinating. Unpack instincts for people. Yeah. I also like that it, you know, if you if you guess on the instincts, you have a one out of three chance <laughs> more likely <laughs> yeah. to get it right. You know, you have something yeah, right. to work with there. Right. Yeah, I mean, instincts. I I just typically tell folks that personalities up here. It's can be a bit sophisticated. It's a way that you learned to avoid pain, get your needs met, and it's got a real strategy to this. Instincts, mm -hmm. on the other hand, are underneath. Um, they're more animal kingdom. They are more basic survival. They're pretty hardwired in there. I guess that's the elevator. Well, would you add anything to it? No, I think that's great. I, you know, we do all have three. Let's just talk about the three different types. Tell yeah. us about self-preservation types. Sure. So self-preservation are uh, aware of resources, on maintenance of their inner system, on what they need to survive. You know, some people call it the maybe the lone wolf it knows i'm going to go up to that tree and sleep there or the squirrel it buries its nut acorn whatever so you know they we're very aware of what is basically for the five senses to keep us alive and well you know am i hungry am i comfortable is it a little too hot in here yeah. is it too cool yeah so here's how i experience it. i'm a self-preservation four which means that i often look like a three or a seven so it can be very confusing to people as the countertype. And again, I also are aware there's different schools of, of talking about instincts and subtypes. Not sure of yours, but we'll just see how we get along here on it. Sure. It'll be fine. I'm a big believer in both ends, not either ors. So it's about bodily survival. You know, it's about personal bodily survival. My survival is very linked to the body. So as a self-pres, my wife will tell you, I worry a lot about retirement. I worry about mm -hmm. money. I worry about the house being okay. I'm, I, at breakfast, I'm asking about what we're having for dinner. You know, uh, very, you're going to laugh, man. Anthony knows this. I'm obsessed with the thermometer. Like, <laughs> I can never get the house to be just right on the temperature. And so, again, my concerns are around bodily comfort and personal survival. And my attention immediately migrates to issues around my own survival. Mm -hmm. So, but it's different for a person who is dominant in a social instinct. 
versus yeah, a yeah. self-present instinct. So tell me a little bit about social instincts. Sure. Yeah. The only thing I was going to add when you were talking about the thermometer is my wife asked me before this started, she said, are you going to mention your bags of almonds that you stash everywhere? Because I have this fear of being hungry all of a sudden. <laughs> I love that. And I said, probably not. So, but in the glove compartment, you know, or different places in the house, the movies, it's like, I can go two hours. I'm not going to die of hunger, but a part of me feels like I am. Funny, man. Uh, social, the social instinct. So I guess just continuing the um, animal metaphor. And I know some people don't like this lens on it, but you could think of a school of fish or a herd of gazelle. It's the awareness of the whole, you know, I kind of think of it as the light that lights up the whole room almost, you know, instead of me mm-hmm. with my little candlestick. So it's aware of norms and groups and hierarchy and structure and all those things that we are social beings and, you know, we need to be a part of social structure to survive. So it's an attunement mm-hmm. to that. Yeah. I, for me, the way I describe people in the social instinct, uh, I say, look, it's all about the herd. And where yeah. am I in the herd? You don't want to be the gazelle at the back of the herd limping, right? A person with a social instinct is thinking, how, you know, how do I? They tether their idea of survival to the group. And when you think of it that way, it's because there's safety in numbers, right? Yeah. And so they're like, okay, I got to get in the middle of the herd or I got to mm. get in, in the front of the herd. And I have to actually demonstrate my value to the herd Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that the herd will take care of me should stuff go sideways. Exactly. <laughs> right? You don't want to be so, sent off on the ice float, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so then there's the last, some people call it the one-to-one subtype or instinct, I should say, or the sexual instinct. Let's unpack that one for me. Sure. Yeah. So it is based on, I think it's based on that powerful energy that comes from any type of one-to-one connection. So, yeah, of course, mm-hmm. there is that in libido, um, but it's in so many places. It's in therapy, right? You're intensely connected with someone. You're dropping in. It's in, I think, creativity can really be there. It's maybe in the relationship with the performer and audience because it's, again, one-to-one. Mm-hmm. But it's about being seen as maybe powerful or attractive. You know, in again, Animal Kingdom is... Maybe the peacock, mm-hmm. people use that as an example, mm-hmm. because you can't not see mm-hmm. it. So it's the ability to attract and maybe rebuff. It's there's something magnetic about it. You know, I think those types have a mm-hmm. high intensity. Someone, I don't remember, mm-hmm. describes them as foot on the gas is the one-to-one high energy. And then, you know, self-preservation or more foot on the brakes and social or bit of both. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting for me, the sexual or one-to-one type, you know, the survival is tied to the significant other. And the other might not just be a romantic partner. It could be a dear friend. It could be a therapist. It could be your church. It could be your synagogue. It could be, you know, your your audience, whatever you yeah. might say. I always say that when a, a self-pres goes to a party, their attention immediately migrates. So where's the dip? Where's the shrimp? Why is it so <laughs> hot in here? And then the social comes in and wants to go to the kitchen and ask, how can I help? Is there somehow I can help? They're also going around the room to find out how is everybody doing? They're very Mm -hmm. attuned to the politics in the room. Like Mm -hmm. what's going on in here and who am I in relationship to Mm -hmm. the group? And let me go ask if I can help because that will actually express my value to the group Mm -hmm. and, you know, and they'll take care of me. Then the one-to-one is in the corner having a very intense conversation with somebody. Exactly. You know, they have found, they have found a person 
And they are about to have a very, uh, you know, a more than a slightly more or greatly more intense conversation than a lot of people are prepared for if they're not of that type. So, yeah, totally. Right. Yeah. So let me ask a question with that, Ian. So yeah. it's probably less likely because this could be the social thing you're talking about, you know, your value to the herd. And sometimes you need to be in the middle of it. Sometimes you need to move to the front of it. But the one to one, it could be. Like a performer with an audience, an audience could be the one, or a pastor with a church. Is, could it play itself out that way? I, I don't see why not. I mean, I think it's yeah. a feature. I don't know if it's the if it's the leading hallmark characteristic, you know, of the sexual type. But it, yeah. I wouldn't say no to that. I would say that right. what's important mm-hmm. for people to know. I probably should have said this at the beginning, but all of us have all three of these instincts. All of us. Mm-hmm. We, none of us are absent one of these instincts. Yeah. However. One tends to be dominant in us, and we over actually overprivilege and over rely on it. Yeah. And so, mm. and Elon, maybe you can talk about stacks or instinctual sort of however you want to talk about it. Sure. But why don't I just pass it over to you to talk about it? Because I think this is the value in understanding uh, mm-hmm. instincts as we describe them. And then we'll talk about how instincts lead to subtypes. So go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Well, inst- I guess. For example, I will be the self-preservation at the snack table for sure. And then I will be in that one-to-one would be second most likely. But even getting to a party at all is a great challenge for me because I'm, you know, social Mm -hmm. is my blind spot. And learning about the instincts, I realized I needed to do that. I need to give attention to the blind spot for no end other than itself. So I guess what I mean by that is typically before what I would do is I would do something social, but it was really self-pressed. Like, oh my God, I'll network, but I'll get a client out of it. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. we typically use our dominant instinct to try to do all of them. If you're a social social dominant instinct, you might say, well, of course I'll find a mate if I'm connected, well enough connected to the group. And of course I'll get my needs met because the group will take care of me. So my self-pressed won't go without. So part of the stack is, you might imagine like a pie and it's divided. And for me, it's, let's say, 60, 70% self-pres and then 20% and then the remaining 20% one-to-one and then the remaining is social. So I think I just need to move that needle a bit. I think, right. you know, my bias is we have a sort of predominant organization to our stack and it maybe shifts with different things we are going through in life. But I think I'll be pretty much wired that way. Yeah. I love that you described the, uh, as a social, that a way that you would sort of rationalize or motivate yourself to go to a party and socialize would be to get a client out of it, which is a self-preservation act. Yeah. I love it. But it's just so interesting to me, like, you know, our motivations. Yeah. Well, when I discovered it, some of my friends did a weekly gathering where they would basically read devotionals. And at the time, I was sort of really lost in that realm. I didn't know what I wanted. But I knew that the social was such a blind spot that I showed up every week and just talked to people. And there was no end other than itself. And it really Mm -hmm. was transformative for me. So Yes. And you know what's interesting? All right. So everybody, listen up. Think about a pie or a cake, like a chocolate cake. And you have all three instincts. Imagine the top layer is your dominant instinct. The middle is kind of in a neutral position. What do you call the middle one, Elon? I've heard different people talk oh, about it differently. Um, just secondary. 
Yeah. Second there. Okay. And then you have this bottom, right, which is what we might call your repressed instinct. So you have a high, mm-hmm. you have your dominant instinct on top, you have the neutral or secondary instinct in the middle. You can basically leave that baby alone. And then you have this repressed one, right? So yeah. Yeah. for me, my top one is self-preservation. That's my top layer. That's my dominant instinct. My middle is social. Mm. My repressed is one-to-one or sexual. Let me, mm-hmm. So everybody, here's why this is important. It's really important for me, let's say in my marriage, my wife, by the way, is self-preservation repressed and one-to-one dominant. We are actually the inverse of each other, which creates conflict in our marriage. And this is why it's Mm -hmm. so important for people to learn about instincts. People who share the same dominant instinct will have less conflict than people who have different dominant instincts. Yeah, exactly. Um, And so until they begin to do work with it. My wife cannot understand why I need to get to an airport so early as a self-press. You know what I mean? Like, I do not like running through an airport. Like, my, I have a one of my kids is a one-to-one dominant, and they're like, mm-hmm. they show up when that door is just about closing. You know, no. they just think that's almost I wish exciting. I could be that way. Oh, me too. Me too. <laughs> now, I, tra- I testify to that because I travel with Ian, and we'll get there an hour and a half before – we load the plane. So we just plan on getting there. We're going to have plenty of time to go to Starbucks. We're going to yeah, eat. Yeah. We're going to drink some calm. coffee. We're going to hang out. Uh-huh. Never <laughs> miss the flight, though. I got to be calm, man. So anyway, <laughs> my repressed is one-to-one or sexual. And so what I've learned is what Annie needs from me is the reassurance of intimacy. She's very focused on our relationship because mm-hmm. she's one-to-one dominant. Yeah. I'm a little bit more... Uh, how do I want to say this? I'm a little bit more unschooled in intimacy. I'm a little bit more. And what's interesting is, is that people will tend to dismiss their repressed instincts because there's a kind of unconscious defensiveness. It's like, oh, it's not. Oh, she stop it. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, kind of dismiss it out of hand. Oh, you know, right. like, oh that's I not, see. You know, and so. Like- yeah, or it could be threatening, or it's like because we sort of know that we're deficient uh, in it, we yeah, kind of go, oh, yeah. it's just not that important, you know? So anyway, people, listen to me. You you really need to learn about instincts and uh, how important they are in self-understanding and in relationships and in your relationship to the world because it will make things mm-hmm. so much clearer. And in fact, mm-hmm. you know what, Anthony? I haven't actually pitched this very hard to people in, I don't know, a couple of years, but you know, we have a, I have a course called True You, which actually goes through all the instincts and subtypes. So people could check that out on the website if they have any interest in it. Now, subtypes. Now, yeah. here's the reason I, we got into this instincts by itself as a discrete topic. Fantastic. <laughs> but in Enneagram world, instincts are inextricably tied to subtypes. It's like how the subtype emerges. Give yeah. people a three or four sentence exp- uh, sort of explanation of that. You mean how the instinct, how the type is impacted by the instinct? Yeah. So in, as I understand it, depending on the school of thought, and I recognize that yeah. there are all different schools of thoughts in Enneagram world, and it's a little obnoxious how they argue with each other sure. about subtype creation. But however, in my tradition, what we were taught was that when that dominant instinct slams into the passion, yeah, Bump, bumps um, into the passion, it creates a subtype. So then you have a self-pressed sex or a social sex or a, or you know what I'm saying? Or right. a sexual sex. Am I yeah. getting this right through your lens? 
Same. Yeah. I'm in that same school. So, so basically all that energy of instinct, which is maybe the most powerful energy there is, is flowing for me through fear. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so if you look at self-preservation or survival through, you know, taking care of my needs and resources through fear, I have a real double dose basically of anxiety. Yes. Right. And for you, it would be, I guess, self-preservation flowing through envy. Hence, is that fit for you? Yes. Yes. So, yes. so then, you know, that actually for four is kind of a complicated pattern. I guess I don't yeah, want to speak to it for you, but because they're kind of a little bit at odds. Yes. We'll continue. So, yeah. <laughs> we want to so, learn more. I love that expression of, of flowing through the passion. Yeah, that, that that resonates with me in a way I haven't even heard it before. But that instinct flowing through the passion, yeah, I think is so. Powerful, I, and I think the fixation is a part of it too. But because the passion's more in that emotional terrain, it's really where it latches on. So that ends up basically creating a distinct pattern. So you know, if there's nine types and three instincts, then there's twenty-seven patterns stacks you know there's a lot of variations mm-hmm. i guess i'm not where should i go from here i don't know where maybe the listeners no, at you're doing this. great no i love this because there's people have always so many questions about instincts and subtypes when yeah. they move past knowing their type having a conversation around wings especially when people can't identify their type and this was my experience with the enneagram early on i'm always like okay so you've read all the time. We can't seem to find it in the types as they're typically described in a book. We need to go into subtypes. That's probably where you may be one of the counter types, right? Like, mm-hmm. like an Enneagram, self-preservation four is almost its own type. It's so yeah, different from totally. the other fours. It is sort of baffling to me. Yes, I know. The sunny four, it just seems like a walking paradox, right? And sixes, the three different types of sixes are so different in their presentation, they might as mm. well be their own numbers. Really, truly. we, You and I probably have more in common as self-reservations than I do with a social six or, for, or a one-to-one six. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. In fact, it's interesting. So many of the things you were saying earlier actually resonated with me. And I actually... I have a complicated wow. relationship with authority, you know? Uh, yeah. So what were you going to say, Anthony? You sound like you were on the edge of saying something. No, just the idea that, which we've said this before on the show, but that you two might be more similar because of your subtypes mm. and instincts as opposed to the number is just, I mean, it's, that's a powerful thought. I mean, it's like, that's a game changer. Yeah, kind of wild. For me, I just wanted to ask a question. I don't think this is backing up too much, but like, so as a one-to-one that's flowing through envy, what am I likely to struggle with? Well, so we're talking about Enneagram 4 now. Yeah, sexual 4 or one-to-one 4. So the material in any app is basically started as Lori, I mentioned earlier, her material and her material was from Claudio Naranjo. And Mm -hmm. some of his was right, his native tongue. And also some of it is just so harsh sounding. So it was angry envy, basically. That's what they called it, which is, but it's just, you know, if you can imagine struggling with a pattern of yearning and longing, and maybe people have something I don't, but then you have the one-to-one energy, which is the most robust, I guess, of all three of them coming through Mm -hmm. that. 
it ends up as just fire. I mean, sometimes they look like eights. In fact, Anthony, we oftentimes say that the sexual four, that's not very self-aware. That's important, people. Sure. We're not, this is not, a, this is not a generality here, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, when they're not very self-aware are easily the most aggressive. They can mm-hmm. scare an eight. They can scare an eight. And they're far more surgical than an eight is in their approach to other people, which can be devastating. You know, uh, that's where you say the one to one for like some suffer silently, some are outward about their suffering, but the one to one for makes others suffer. Yeah. So that's what I think. Well, in the harshest sense of the word, what you would say is that the self prez tends to be long suffering. They tend to be silent Mm -hmm. suffering. That's definitely me. And And by the way, they look like a three or a seven. Because there's a strategy in being conforming <laughs> to the world around them, right? To right. compensate for a perceived sense of inner lack. So then mm-hmm. for the social type, their suffering is apparent. You know, like, like we mm-hmm. know a lot of songwriters and artists here in town. Yeah. You can feel the sadness and the longing just radiating off them. You know, the Germans call it mm-hmm. Sehnsucht. And mm-hmm. Sehnsucht means this inconsolable longing for the unnameable is how it would be tr- translated it's, right that's and that comes I love that you just yeah it comes off them it's just you can feel it you know yeah. and i could name people anthony that you and i know that would fall into that category right but that one to one the there so you've got long suffering silent suffering you've got suffering that's very externally picked up it's radiated but then you have this other where this is going to be hard. The one-to-one who's not very healthy projects mm-hmm. their sense of brokenness onto the other mm-hmm. and punishes it. That's a harsh way of putting mm-hmm. it, but they can make yeah. the other suffer. And so mm-hmm. now that's for, that doesn't mean that every sexual four is a bad person. They're not all like Mariah Carey on Adderall. You know what I mean? They're not all Alec Baldwin, you know, like running around like, uh, like that. It's just not how they roll. It just means that they have this intensity. <laughs> they do have this wild intensity. I will say they're risk takers. They're the ones that are the first one to bungee jump off Vic Fall yeah. Bridge, man. They are just, there's this kind of raw intensity yeah. that can be a little overwhelming to people, but it's also very sexy, I have to say. It oh, can be very God. attractive. And yeah, very, I, just, you know, I want to say that it has a seductive quality to it. That not, And I don't mean that just in the sexual sense. They're seductive people, friends. They're, there's a certain <laughs> magnetism yeah, to them. Totally. Totally. I mean, that intensity, especially obviously, will come out in the one-to-one dynamic, maybe with their partner or maybe, but mm-hmm. then in other arenas, there's there can be such a different tone to it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Absolutely. And again, Mm. people listen to me on this. You know, the Enneagram is easy to learn and it's super hard to master, right? This is the beauty of it, right? The beauty of it is, is you could learn, you know, you could read a book, a good book on the Enneagram, a primer on it, and you would get enough out of it to make really positive, significant changes in your life. And if you just choose to stop there, fantastic. Good on you. You got what you needed. If you want to go down the wormhole and to really dig a lot deeper into it, the system becomes increasingly complex and also more nuanced and interesting. Then Mm -hmm. you're going to jump into instincts. You're going to jump into subtypes and you're going to jump into balancing centers. You're going to talk about, you know, centers of intelligence. And by the way, one of the things Mm -hmm. we didn't say, Elon, by the way, was that so much of the Enneagram, right, is about 
the creation of balance, right? So mm-hmm. we want to balance our centers of intelligence, mm-hmm. right? And we, so I, for me as a person in the heart space, I, I want to bring up, you know, my, those two other centers, my, the head and the gut so that I'm living mm-hmm. with access to all three brains. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. We, we, with the subtypes, we want to do the same thing, right? So to know mm-hmm. my dominant, that my dominant instinct is self-pressed. I need to work on bringing up my repressed, which is, gee, Annie, my wife, I got to learn how to be a little bit more focused on the health of this relationship and not get angry when you want to spend the night laying on the couch watching a movie under a blanket. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, totally. That's where you live. And I need to have more of that energy in my life uh, mm. and stop relying so heavily on that self-pres energy. So anyway, this is, I love this conversation because yeah, I, 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 I want to, I want to encourage people. God, you guys get out there. If you're really interested in self-knowledge and self-awareness beyond just the basics, this is where you mm. have to go. This is the stuff mm. that you have to learn. So anyway, guys, we're talking to Elon Ben-Ami, uh, the founder, the guy who beautifully came up with the Enya app, which so many of you have, I think it's a million and a half people have downloaded that app now. Uh, he's also the author of this wonderful new book, Enneagram Patterns and Poetics, A Guide to Understanding Personality, which I also commend to you. It's got great stuff happening here, stuff about energy, instincts, centers, um, about uh, primary types, wings, lines. I mean, he just you got to kind of go into it all. And it's one of the things I love about the Enneagram is you can hear the same stuff taught through a different voice. And suddenly you go, Oh, I finally get it. (laughs) You know, you've read five books and then you, but one person turned the lock on a particular topic that you didn't understand before. And so that's why I love what you put together in this book. Thank you. And that means a lot. And I feel the same way about you. You know, you're the road back to you. And I also read, the story of you, which was really great. You have a way of making it accessible and just inviting the reader in. So that's a treat to share and, you know, recommend to clients and with folks as well. It really is true. Like well, your I'm glad. audience here, your, you know, a tribe, you have to find the voice you resonate with. Yes. And uh, I'm so, so glad we had this conversation and, I just, again, I want to refer people to your book, Enneagram Patterns and Poetics, A Guide to Understanding Personality. Of course, everybody should have the Ennea app on their dang phone. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> Everyone should have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the, uh, how are you going to be interesting at cocktail parties if you don't have that darn thing? If yeah. You certainly <laughs> want to sound like an expert, so get the Ennea app. And uh, <laughs> Elon, how do people learn more about what you do and what you're about? Yeah, well, of course, the app is there and there's webinars on there and you can reach out and connect with us. You know, the app is basically an attempt to be a comprehensive reference system. So it's bullet mm-hmm. points and it's data, right? I'm a head type. So I tried to organize all the data that I could find into one place that I wanted accessible. The book, I really have always liked succinct. I've liked things that, you know, I wanted the whole system. I wanted to capture even the abstract, the spirituality of it, the nuance. But I wanted to do it in as few words as possible. So I guess I, I invite mm. you to flip around through that to the listener, see what calls to you in it. You know, you'll notice some departures from the language in any app, some things that are the same, but it's written to be, I guess, to bring a depth to it that maybe the app doesn't have. Sure. 
And I love mm-hmm. that you like an economy of language. I hate I hate wordiness. It drives me bananas. Yeah. If you can say it simple, say it sweet like that. I think that's yeah. the elegance of a beautiful sentence, man. Just get to the point, you know. So, well, hey, man, we hope to have you on again to continue this conversation. There's so many other things that we could jump into. Would you be willing to come back? Oh, it'd be great. It was a real pleasure to talk to both of you and sort of nerd out about the Enneagram things. I like that deep dive there. Great. Hey, everybody, remember these words. May you have love. May you have joy. May you have peace. May you have healing. And may you have rest. Until next time.